It's Behind the Bots Time! From Norwalk Havoc Studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Kyle. And I'm Luke. And today on the podcast, our interview with the builders of Double Tap. Chris and Lindsay are off on their next couple of weeks for their honeymoon and a trip to BattleBots. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. But if you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. And follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots. Uh, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have five news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this weekend in Northern California. Reject Robotics is holding a 16-bot antweight tournament on Saturday at the Yuba Sutter Maker Fair in Marysville, California, about 40 miles north of Sacramento. Maker Fairs are always a lot of fun, so if you find yourself in Yuba County this weekend, put this event on your calendar. Check out details on robotcombatevents.com. This past week was shipping week for U.S.-based bots competing on BattleBot 7, which meant another 10 robots got added to Sterling Brown's visual list out of a possible roster of 50 bots. So let's see, I guess we're up to 47. We've got almost all of them. One bot... Almost all. (laughs) One, yeah. However, one bot that nobody seems to know uh, whether they're coming or not is Blacksmith. The mystery deepened this week after Blacksmith Captain Al Kendall published two photos of a Blacksmith crate being loaded onto a truck. Eagle-eyed fans quickly realized that Al posted the exact same photos this time last year. So who the heck knows what's going on? Uh, no, seriously, I, I'm serious. <laughs> who the heck knows what's going on? If you know what's going on with Blacksmith, just uh, reach out to us. Let us know. <laughs> BattleBots this weekend released their last remaining videos from BattleBots 6, a mix of 10 unaired fights cut into a 30-minute video with no introductions and no fight commentary published over YouTube. The most incredible fight has to be, without question, Big Dill versus Overhaul, an exhibition match where each robot pummels its opponent with metal chairs. It's amazing, unforgettable. Stop this podcast immediately, go to YouTube, and watch that fight right now. Kyle, did you get a chance to watch the chair fight? I did, and I love that it it, it took so long to get this chair fight that we were hearing rumors about like while filming was happening. Um, so it's amazing how, how long they have kind of stretched out that season six or the, the sixth championship content over this entire year. Um, and I guess this is finally the end. This is the last bit of it right now. The last bit of BattleBot six, just in time for BattleBot seven. Great segue, Kyle. BattleBot seven is gearing up for its first day of filming happening next Tuesday in Las Vegas. By releasing their pre-show power rankings based on bot performance last season. As of Sunday night, they had released power rankings number 17 through 32. Look for the rest of the list later this week on Facebook. Can we can we pause here for a minute? Yeah, sure. How do you feel about these power rankings? Um they seem strange and kind of arbitrary. Like I think if I'm remembering right? correctly, like um, you know, um, there's just some some bots where you're like, this seems very low for this bot. They've performed better than this, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like Riptide made it to like, what, the top eight and they're ranked 13. Riptide. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, plus, it's like, I'm, I don't know really how valuable this is. 
I guess it's cool because they make this list every year reportedly, but now they're releasing it to the public just to kind of get people excited. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like there's so much iteration and change that's happening between seasons that it's almost like you have to enter every season kind of throwing out a bot's past performance because, you know, they change a motor, they change like, you know, kind of a big design component can really change their, their fortunes, you know, from season to season. Um, death roll, death roll, you know, like they're coming back to the, to, to the show and they're like ranked number 22. Like, come on, death roll is better than that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, strange, but, uh, I guess kind of cool. Kind of see like how the sausage just gets made. Yeah. They're trying to make it more sports based, right? Like that everybody's getting the official four fights. They're going to have the data be a little bit more solidified this year. That's a lot of the stuff Greg talked to us about. And I guess this is in line with that. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, BattleBot 7 has reportedly replaced Judge Jason Bardis for the upcoming season of the show. Jason confirmed the news on Facebook himself, writing, quote, I'm told the network just wanted a new face, unknown if that's the real reason or not. Jason got his start in combat robotics at Robot Wars 1996 and went on to build several combat robots for the original run of BattleBots on Comedy Central. He returned to the competition for season two of the reboot with Disco Inferno and signed on as a judge for season four. We want to wish Jason the best of luck in all of his future projects. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Team Ostrich Air and their bot, Double Tap. This week on the podcast, we have three very special guests from Team Ostrich Air, makers of the brand new rookie bot, Double Tap. Double Tap is the most ambitious new heavyweight on the roster this year with what appears to be an angled horizontal spinning blade with hammers that follow closely behind for its signature Double Tap. It's all packaged up in a sleek, futuristic shell. The bot is the brainchild of Ostrich Air Robotics Company based in Silicon Valley um, that is responsible for some very cool robotics projects, including its own line of racing drones. We're catching up with the team just days before they arrive in Las Vegas to make their bot debut. Welcome to the show, Team Ostrich Air. Hey, thank you, thank you for inviting us. We are so excited to talk to you guys. We love to uh, interview kind of the rookie teams um, as they come up, especially the ones that have something bizarre and interesting like what you guys have. Um, so let's do my favorite part of the show, which is introductions. Um, so we don't know you guys as well as you guys know each other, right? So what we like to do is have you introduce each other, right? So let's go ahead and start with, uh, Jeff, Jonathan, can you please introduce us to Jeff and tell us about, um, about what he is, who he is, what he does, how he came onto the team, all that fun stuff. Okay. So uh, Jeff is an interesting person, actually. Jeff is, um, takes care of uh, some of our government stuff. And he actually, one of the key cool things about him is he lived in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is that city that didn't exist until a few years ago. Um, so Jeff comes from a really cool background of a very secretive military uh, tech, um, but he's also uh, a pilot. Um, and we love to fly, as you know, <laughs> so, so having a, a full-blown pilot on our team is a very cool thing. 
Um, so I think that's how I would, I, I would introduce Jeff. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, so Jeff, can you yes, please sir. introduce us to Derek? <laughs> that's easy. Derek is a genius. Derek is a uh, aerospace engineer and a mechanical engineer from Stanford who's done many, many interesting things, including designing propulsion systems for aerial, fly, uh, aerial cars, flying cars. Um, he is nothing but amazes me. I, I'll go and I'll come up and say, hey, I, we have a problem with this. Next thing I know, I hear one of our six 3D printers back here firing up and something that didn't exist an hour ago is now handed to me. <laughs> here you go. Well, well, how'd you do that, Derek? Well, He's just a genius. He, he, they, he does things that they say can't be done. He'll go and sit back and he gets that look on his face. Next thing we know, it's like, oh, there they are. They're fired up again. He hands it to you about an hour later. Here it is. And yes, it does. And yes, it does. It works perfectly. So he's not going to be short of a genius. <laughs> wow, that was a... And he's grinning like a possum now. You can't see it on there because this is audio. He's grinning like a possum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Derek, let's on move on over to you. Can you please introduce us to Jonathan, team captain? All right, so yeah, this is uh, Jonathan. He's a team captain. Uh, he is the man with a network, is the easy way to put it. So uh, we're often doing all sorts of crazy things, and we need crazy things, especially for projects like this. And we'll be talking like, you know, we need a company that does this. And, you know, usually within a half hour, he's like, oh, I'm talking to the CEO of that company. And we'll have a you know product next week. Uh, so he's the guy that kind of keeps it all organized and is able to yeah, have the network of all these different companies and things that allow us to do all these amazing things that we do. Uh, I, Jonathan, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're actually about to go to the greatest robotics networking event in the United States uh, in Las Vegas here pretty soon. So um, congratulations uh, on that. That's so going to make your job really interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about you guys first. First of all, what is Ostrich Air? I'll, I'll take that, I guess. Um, Ostrich Air, it, you could call it a, a, a stealth robotics lab. Like we build robots for other companies or, um, or non-companies. <laughs> but we basically build, build stuff that's one of a kind uh, that was given to us usually because uh, somebody else said no or it was impossible or it was too hard. Uh, we white label everything so no one knows it came from this lab and then it goes out into the world. So we're, we're an R&D lab that basically makes very cool stuff that nobody ever knows that we did it, which is why we had to build a battle bot and show our skill level. <laughs> I love this. I love this. So how did the company start? Actually, me and Derek uh, have worked for several companies together now, and um, we honestly got to that point where where we uh, started doing drone racing for fun. Uh, it was a hobby of ours, and eventually we decided that uh, we knew enough and we learned enough because we're usually the guys working the tech in those companies that we just wanted to build something on our own that you know was special and. And ended up, honestly, it just kind of organically went from drone racing to we all quit our jobs and started making stuff for other people. So <laughs> it's kind of what happened. 
I love that. I love that. Uh, so what are some of the coolest projects that you can talk about? That's a hard one. Uh, <laughs> uh, coolest? Do we have a project we can talk about? <laughs> Honestly, the only stuff that we can talk cool. about is like uh, we build, well, we build a camera. So we build a camera drone system, uh, like a drone that can do over 140 miles an hour carrying a red cinema camera. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, has unobstructed views and it's been used. Yeah. It's that, that's that kind of stuff, I guess we can do. Cause those are the things we kind of do for fun on the side, but sure. anything for a company we can't. Um, so usually it involves, yeah, that kind of stuff, just high speed racing or, uh, there's a little cooler that runs around and brings us drinks and has, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that little guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else? There's a couple of cool things that are out there, but but honestly, there's very little stuff that we could ever talk about, which is honestly one of the big reasons we wanted to join the show. Right, yeah. You wanted to, to kind of showcase what your company and what your organization is capable of, which I think is an awesome reason to get into BattleBots. Like I said, it's one of the best kind of robotics networking events in the entire world. Um, when did you decide to, to do this? When did you like decide to go down this path? Uh, it's only, it wasn't that long ago. It was, uh, a few months ago, but, um, we have been to, we've been to LA a bunch of times because of, uh, Hollywood stuff. But, uh, we, what we caught one of the shows, which is we have pictures on our site of us catching that show and, and, uh, I mean, we just lit up and said, you know what, we have to apply for this thing eventually and so i'd say i think it was six months ago where we actually applied i think or is it the beginning of the year was it february 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 yeah, yeah february we applied and we had scratches on a blackboard at that point i think <laughs> or, or we really have designed something yeah we had something but doesn't look like what we have yeah now. it's nothing like what we had it was basically <laughs> yeah okay here's an idea let's see what happens but i think two months ago we got the approval yeah uh where they told us hey you guys are finally on the show and it was like oh god now we have to build this thing <laughs> incredibly fast yep and as you know getting parts and cnc time right now it's almost impossible so yep. It's been a task, that's for sure. Um, so your team roster is super impressive. What's most impressive to us is it's a bunch of people that are not in combat robotics in general, right? Like combat robotics is a pretty big community from a lot of different walks of life. You know, you have um, aerospace engineers right down to special effects artists, right down to just uh, plumbers and, uh, and uh, laborers, right, that all get involved. <laughs> Um, yeah. But you have a bunch of people that have never really been involved in the combat robotics sport and community before. You also have some like really random people like uh, co-founder of Pixar Animation Studios, Lauren Carpenter on your team. So kind of yes. tell us about uh, the team, how you got Lauren Carpenter involved and like um, how you brought this kind of super team together. Um, because we've worked done a lot of work with a lot of different companies, we know a lot of people, right? And I mean, everybody gets into robotics. So if you know Lauren, uh, Lauren's actually the person who built uh, Wally, like a real, a real full motion uh, Wally. 
uh, and I mean, I'm sure you know his background. He's he is a maverick. The, the guy can do anything you put him up to. Uh, so it was it was inevitable. As soon as he heard we we're doing a battle, but he's like, "Oh my god, this is awesome! I'm in." You know. So and I, honestly, almost the entirety of our team is that. It's basically people that we either met or work with that we said, hey, we're building a model lot. You interested in putting a couple of hours in? Because everybody's busy. The roster is impressive, but that makes it because we, not everybody has a lot of time. So we needed a lot of people in order to right. get enough time to get it built. And I mean, Lauren's incredibly creative. Uh, some of the, um, the ideas, a lot of the ideas came from him. So... Um, you know, like the, the robot story that's on our website, that was written by him. Uh, the way we're going to look like at the show, that was that's going to be him. Um, and you'll see him at the show. I mean, he has, you know, some health issues, but um, more than likely you'll see him in a lot of the tapings there with us. He's a, he's a blast, you know? That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah. I, that, yeah. Really I wanted cool to people. ask you about that backstory. So uh, I love that you guys have a published lore. For the bot. So just to give, do a recap for everybody who hasn't read the website, it started its life as an autonomous security robot that was smuggled out of an atomic research lab in Asia, where it was taken to reverse engineering facility in Nevada. It's entering BattleBots to learn more about its adversaries. Uh, I love that. I wish more teams would do that. Um, I think it's so cool that you're giving your bot a narrative. There's a couple of bots, this, the new bots that have a narrative, like Doomba has like a really specific narrative. Uh, what was your thought process behind that? You know, like uh, adding this kind of story element to your bot? Yeah, I think it all comes from, from the background, right? So we're always building stuff we can't show. So it's like, this is finally a robot that we can show. So it was like, okay, we're going to, we got to give him his identity. He's coming from a secret lab that no one knew existed until BattleBots, basically. And then he's got he's got to have a background. And how did he get to Vegas? Well, you know, he's you know, BattleBots showed up in Vegas, so he has to go and investigate and gather data. And since it's our first year, that's literally what we're doing. We we threw a whole bunch of sciences together so that we can gather data and then you know, uh, season eight optimize the heck out of double tap and, and, uh, hopefully take that, that nut. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, also happened to notice that California treasurer Fiona Ma has seen the robot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so random. How did that come about? <laughs> uh, she, she wanted to come by the lab. <laughs> um, once, we, once we, once we opened up, uh, our place doesn't even have a name, a, a name. Like, if you try to come to us, you probably won't find us. There's no sign. Um, there's no sign. Right. Everything's blacked out, and we have a lot of neighbors that protect us. So, so when we got the word out that we were going to build this thing, everybody kind of came out of the woodwork. Finally, we get to go in there. So it's, so it's kind of what happened. So, we, we, like I said, we know a lot of people. And actually, today... The end. Almost the entire cast for DRL was in here, uh, so the Drone Racing League. Um, at least yeah, yeah, yeah. On the wall, uh, so there a lot of our pilots for when we do any kind of crazy thing. Uh, they're actually our pilots uh, for those events. 
that we usually reach out to, you know, first. So, yeah, they're going to be doing a show here in San Jose tomorrow. So they all came by to hang out and have some pizza and check out the lab. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. That is so cool. I'm loving this. All right. So we've got a ton of listener questions. Like I said, I don't don't know how, like, in the kind of internet community you guys are like how much of the um you know the the reddits and the the whatnot the background that you follow but you guys have uh you guys have enticed a lot of thought a lot of imagination you provoked a lot of questions so we have a ton of listener questions that i want to get through um and we'll pick and choose them but before we do that i realized we haven't done this yet and i would love for you guys to describe this and maybe uh maybe jeff this would be a good one for you can you describe what the bot looks like and what it's like action is like what it's uh primary weapon does like how it operates yeah um we actually have multiple looks and multiple shells um we can custom tune it to whatever our opponent is um i'm kind of a fan of the uh, organic look the more rounded look that you'll see that's the one that's being uh, done over in uh, nevada right now for us uh, by the gentleman who's on Metal Masters. He's been doing an amazing job. I've just seen some photos of it, and uh, Jonathan actually flew over there the other day to uh, take a chassis over there so he can make sure that the fit is what we need it to be. Um, but that's actually my favorite one, the more rounded, organic kind of look. It's truly a, a work of art. It's just beautiful just to look at. It's going to be a shame to have something hit it since <laughs> it's just that pretty. But, but we know that's the name of the game. But yeah, the, the weapon that we're using, to, the way we got our name Double Tap, is uh, we go and we have a horizontal bar that has a really uh, unique shape to it. But the whole thought behind it is we have a horizontal bar with two hammers that are actuated upon the first impact of that main bar hitting. And what our hope is, is that we, we, we figure most people are probably having some type of a damping system like we have in our thought. We assume that they did. And, you know, a lot of times people will go and they'll have a, a hit and they'll associate massive external damage as being that, you know, something great. Well, it, it's fun to look at, but that's not what usually incapacitates somebody. So what our weapon does is the primary bar makes that initial contact, and our hope is it will go and collapse or compress their initial damping system. And then while it's damping, that secondary hammer comes in to deliver a, a, a jolt right into the chassis and into delicate parts of the inside of the robot. I want to go and dislodge magnets out of your motor. I want to go and I want to take out the little windings in there. <laughs> Those little falcon little creatures there? Yeah, I want to take them out. <laughs> That's diabolical, and I love it. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and break these questions down kind of by category. So the first category is overall design, right? So Derek will be pitching some of these to you, I'm sure. Um, but first off, super slick. This is a, a, a question as well as like a, a comment from Andrew Lynch. First off, super slick looking design. In my, um, in my dreaming of one day building a bot for competition, I've thought about having a rounded frame with no corners for spinners to catch. Uh, was that your initial design plan or is it more aesthetics? So this one was uh, more aesthetics. In general, we don't like making anything ugly. Uh, so when we started this, that was one of the big things. We wanted it to look good. 
Um, so we went and essentially reached out to a few designers we worked with in the past, um, found one that had some time and, uh, it was one of those things of, you know, working together of like, here's the general interior design of what you have to fit around, but it was basically let the designer go loose and go, you know, with his imagination. Cause oftentimes they're so constrained by all these various things and we decided, you know, no, be free. And so we worked with a designer and, um, uh, and he's a car designer, so he works with uh, you know, F1, Bugatti, things like that. Um, uh, currently a car that just broke a track record. Um, McMarty. McMarty, uh, that, fan, uh, that car. Um, so, yeah, so it was, uh, we wanted to look good. And, yeah, we basically went to a designer and said, you know, go nuts. Yeah, <laughs> have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's our first year, like we said. So we want, we want to gather data and, and show off, like, engineering. So... Yeah, it's going to break, but it'd be a lot of fun to watch it break and learn. <laughs> you learn more from things breaking than than if we made this solid piece of steel that doesn't go anywhere. So, yeah. Um, nope, I believe that a thousand percent. All right, so our next question comes from Alon Belkin, uh, who will be competing on BattleBots this season with the rookie bot Horizon. Um, smaller versions of Horizon have competed at competitions all over the United States. It's a very weird design. I really like it. I can't wait to see how they do as well. He has a very simple question for you. Um, in as much detail as possible, what is the plan? The plan? Oh, my gosh. So the plan is to get as much data as humanly possible. So that because that was the biggest challenge we had trying to get into <laughs> BattleBots was how do you know how many G's of force you're going to take on any part? How strong does things need to be? And once we went down that and had several meetings, we realized that the best way to do it is let's bring a Lamborghini to a bulldozer fight, put a bunch of sensors on it, and and gather that data. And now that we <laughs> once we gather that data, then we can optimize uh, Double Tap to to really be a superior robot. But this year, he's just going to show off and get, you know, hopefully we'll leave with a nice bucket of parts and it'll be amazing. <laughs> so, so we have, we have bots like Ribot that they have live telemetry from their bot, right? They have full on sensor suites telling them how hot their motors are. They ha they know, you know, like where they're at with their speed controllers, how much amperage they're running through everything at any given time, right? And they're able yes. to access that data. It sounds like you're going to be getting a lot of like um, force of impact data as well. You're going to be getting some pressure point data and perhaps even some like speed data from, from impacts and hits. Is that something you're trying to build into the bot? Yeah, we want temperature, we want G-Shock, we want, we want as much data as we could possibly gather. So our robot is meant to, just like the story, he's meant to, he's coming in to gather data first. So the first year, let's gather data. <laughs> yeah, I mean, win a fight or two if you can, but gather the data. Of course, yeah. you know, I mean, things will happen. I mean, it's still, it's still an impressive robot for a two-month two build. For so. sure. <laughs> So we're going to have what you mentioned as far as sensors plus a whole lot more. And I always tease these guys and say, man, if our shell cracks open, these guys are, are not going to believe what they're seeing underneath the shell. <laughs> and they're going to be like, what the heck is that? <laughs> so if that shell happens to crack open, she's going to get quite a show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bloodsport team member Seth Schaefer, uh, who has an excellent YouTube channel just kind of explaining 
uh, combat robotics and the basics of it. You should go check it out. It's really cool. Um, yep. He runs a bot called Division at Norwalk Havoc. He says, your robot looks extremely interesting and it stands out far from the rest of the field. Kudos for that. Uh, with the general design trend for BattleBots often being to embrace KISS design principles, aka keep it simple, stupid, what made you decide decide to put so many complicated subsystems into your robot? Um, do you expect all of them to provide real advantage, or is it just for some cool factor? Also, welcome to the overhead spinner nation, because uh, Bloodsport, as you know, is probably the most powerful overhead spinner in the game right now. <laughs> Uh, you want to take that? I mean, it's, it's definitely data, but I mean, yeah, it's ahead, yeah. data. And I mean, yeah, we kind of like doing overkill with stuff. So we knew we could do <laughs> stuff, simple, but you, we don't learn as much from that. Um, so yeah, the idea is, you know, you make it a little more complicated, but you know, you put science behind it. So we have, you know, reasoning with, you know, we have a complicated weapon system. We use, you know, four motors, not one, but we also have, you know, clutch systems built into it. So if any one motor fails, it's not going to drag down the rest of them and it'll keep going. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was a lot of how do we you know, make this complicated in a way that we learn from. Um, and the, yeah, if you had it, make it a more complicated system, there's more things to learn. There's more points of failure. And then you learn, you know, what exactly this can take. And then, um, you know, does the redundancy of having four motors, is it worth the extra complexity or not? Um, cause yeah, if you go simple, you don't, you don't learn that. Um, so I guess, yeah, that was the main driving factor is just trying to learn as many things as we can in one box. Yeah. Makes you sense. You have to understand this isn't just for, for, for this, this is also to help us for our core business. We build robots and drones for a living. So this, the tech, the, uh, the data we receive on this is going to allow us to go and make all the things we build better, not just our bot. Yeah, I mean, a lot of BattleBots competitors talk about how their work in BattleBots really does reflect on their work in real life, um, you know, on everything from being uh, in, in charge of like ground engineering for NASA for, um, you know, uh, even technical systems designs and web design, like it, it really is all about <laughs> making your stuff as durable as possible. Exactly. Um, and serviceable as possible, right? Like that's the other big one is making it as serviceable as possible. Yes. Um, all right. So Andrew Freitag has a question. He says, in a meta that focuses on ground game and vertical impacts, you seem to have focused on none of those ideas with this design. <laughs> with an inverted ground game and a weapon that doesn't appear very favorable in matchups against vertical force, what drove you to make the design choices that you did? Honestly, it's just time. So there was a lot of thought behind a lot of different things that we can add to it to to take advantage of those things. But time ran out, and we weren't we're not able to implement a lot of the things that were designed. It's just not enough time to really finalize it. Yep. Uh, but uh, the coolest to us, you know, Tombstone was a big factor on on her weapon. And I mean, even though lately he's not, you know, like hasn't been as impactful as he used to be, we kind of still, you know, we, we pray to the tombstone <laughs> and we wanted to make something that that was different and try to bring back a little bit of that. And we know that, it's, again, it's a very experimental version of it, uh, but it will get better yeah. and it, it will come back, you know, way stronger every time it comes back. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And we do have several versions of our bar also. We, we have several weapons bars, uh, so we can implement those if we feel the need to. 
Got it. And those are for optimization against different armor packages or armor types, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, it, yeah, we're, we're testing out as much as we can. And I mean, it's still a timing thing. So we're like, a lot of this stuff is being built literally as we're talking. Um, I hear the machines going. Sure. Some stuff, you know, as you know, it's also some stuff just doesn't make it or it doesn't, you know, get cut or, you know, the machine fails. And so we just have to have backups to make sure that that um, that we can be there and provide an amazing show. Yeah, no, and we're all really excited to see that. All right, so we're going to move on to a next like series of questions that kind of focus around the shell and the armor systems of your bot. Um, Mad Catter driver and current Beetleweight champion of the world, Calvin Eba, who also like he builds very popular Beetleweights, but his championship Beetleweight right now is Lynx. It's an amazing bot. Um, he says, the shell looks super cool. How are you making it? Now, you've already said you, you're making several versions of the shell. Um, so you have one being made that is, you know, similar to the rendering, the the curvy or the curved design um, that you're getting made, like made by one of the metal masters in Vegas right now. What are some of the other shells that you're looking at and how are you getting those made? So the smooth one is uh, investment casting. So they're actually mixing the metals uh, and pouring it into, into creating that shell. Um, unfortunately, you guys won't be able to see that one because we just got a call that the pour failed and it takes months just to prepare to do that. So unfortunately, you won't be able to get to see that. We'll make a YouTube video of the guys and the pour and so they can see you know, the process uh, here really soon. So stay tuned on our YouTube so you can see what, what actually it takes to make one of those shells. And then the second one, the Metal Masters, and then the third one, it's uh, more of a angular, like stealth uh, looking shell. That's uh, that's a uh, more of his, I guess, uh, show off more of the military side. I guess. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um. All right. So one of the questions we got from Cutlass two hundred and six. He says, "How shiny is the main body going to be? Is there enough kind of chrome in the robot?" Um. So. Uh, there isn't enough chrome in robot combat, so I'm crossing my fingers for blinding amounts of bling on this one. <laughs> Super cool to see a very different aesthetic in a bot, um, in a robot in BattleBots this year. Best of luck. And I think everybody agrees with that. This looks like nothing else that's competed before. So yeah, how shiny is it? It's actually not that shiny. We we wanted to give it, I mean, uh, the backstory is this robot's been all over the world doing working. So we want him to look as he's already been working. So he's Warm. even his yeah. smooth shell was gonna come in at a at a very rough looking, you know, version. Like he's just came out of a war and now came into do the uh, battle bots. Um so yeah we, we wanna give it I guess that whole Lucas films uh look to it that it's already been battling even though it's brand new. <laughs> Um, how this is the next question from Matt Laundry, who builds Fallout at Norwalk Havoc um, Lantry, and he says, "How did you model the shell geometry? Was there an inspiration for the shape from anything, or was it more it had to be this way?" So that's uh, what Derek was mentioning earlier. The the shell designer, he's an exotic card designer, uh, and we gave him free reign to be able to build whatever he wanted. Uh, based on the restraints of what we built inside for the robot. 
So he he's worked for Bugatti. He's worked for F1 cars in and now currently working for Marty Automotive. And yeah, this is his vision. So if you kind of look at it uh, in different angles, it does have this F1 slash exotic car look to it. Uh, and that's, uh, but also kind of like a sea creature, which is kind of what he kind of had envisioned. Yeah. Horseshoe crab yeah. is what comes to yeah. my mind all the time. It has like horseshoe crab. So armor. in his head, he says it's like an alien underwater creature that, that, um, you know, but the, the aesthetics kind of have those looks, you know, to it. So that's, that's where you kind of, um, you know, pull the imagination from, but it was full on. Here's your This is what the story is. This is the inside of the robot. Go nuts, you know, and that's that's what he came up with. So, just based on your current knowledge of how much energy the weapons you're going to be facing dish out, do you think the armor will take hits better than more conventional armor configurations, or is this just purely experimental? So the first shell, like the one that was being poured, if that if that would have gone well, that shell should have been able to take an insane amount of force. Um, the other ones, I don't believe uh, they're well, they're meant more to be artistic. Uh, but that first one, it was supposed to be poured out of manganese steel, which is uh, same metal that you use on the M1 Abrams tank. So that would have been able to take some serious uh, hits. Uh, the other ones are, yeah, you'll see them. They're more artistic, so uh, they'll probably get torn in pieces. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a way for us to see and test and get that off of them. So Totally. All right, so let's move on to that weapon. Um, it's so weird, and I love it, and I can't wait to, like, learn more about it. Um, all right, so... You've already explained... So the first question we have is from Jamie Shellcross, who, asks, who says, I still don't understand if slash how the hammers are supposed to actually make the weapon hit harder. You've already explained that, right? It doesn't make it hit harder. That first hit is supposed to compress or um, shrink in any uh, isolation that, that your opponents have on their internal components. And then that second hit is what's supposed to actually do the damage on those internal components. You're going for knockout hits. And I think that's awesome. Um, but Kyle Cuffrey has a very interesting question. So does the mechanism grant the arms rigidity when extended, or is it more of a flail on impact? So the two hammers are connected together, so they always stay in sync, and that way the weapon stays balanced. Um, but no, they'll somewhat flail. They're basically free to do as you know their momentum will carry them. Got it. Uh, right now. Um, we do have mechanisms for pulling them back in. So after you know, when, once, after they've been thrown out, we can you know retract them again and prepare for another hit. Um, but it'll basically you know what physics do what physics is going to do. That's crazy. Okay, yeah, I didn't even realize that was a part of the design. Okay, um, <laughs> so that brings us to a next question from Martin Zeitz, who says the hammer hinges seem to represent a weak spot in the spinner. How do you design them to withstand a hit from something like a vertical spinner? Um, so that's the interesting part. It's, yeah, trying to make it as strong as we reasonably can the weight we have. Um, so actually, in, you know, in the long run, or one of the things we're looking at with it is we had, you know, in theory, how thick we needed to make them to make sure they weren't yeah. going to break. And then we went thinner. 
Um, so, <laughs> so this might end up in the you know wall of the battle box at some point, and we won't be too disappointed if that does happen. Um, yeah, we know it's we know it's a weakness, but also if it fails, then we learn more than if it never fails. So uh, yeah, it's kind of like the rest of the bot. You know, we want to do well, but at the same time, we're going to learn from all the fail- failures. And there was a lot of software simulation, and uh, anthropology was also a big uh, factor in for us knowing where things were going to fail, and you know how weak or how thick things needed to be. And but I mean, we did find what we believed. Again, this is math from just watching right. the show and seeing the things. So it's, it's very, it's educated math, but it's not very. It's theoretical, specific. yeah, yeah. And when we saw. Theoretical, and when we saw, okay, this software is saying it should break if we go and eat dinner. We did go dinner because we thought it would be cool, anyways. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, we're, we're like we said, we can optimize. You know, if you overbuild, you can make anything not break, but uh, you uh, you just don't learn anything from it. We want to know where that edge is. You know, where is the edge so that we can then come back and optimize right to that edge for the next year based on uh, everything we learned. Oof. All right. So uh, I have a question from Brenton Barber. But before I ask the question, I'm going to ask a, a preliminary question. Do you, do anyone of you know what a hella chopper is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Derek. Uh, yeah, we're familiar with the helichopper uh, robot. Uh, that uh, I believe they were the ones that introduced the new uh, speed limits on the robots. The down to two fifty. Well, kind of. Um, the the speed limit was added, I think, uh, two seasons or a season after they uh, applied and, and got admitted. But yes, they were part of that thought process. Yes. Um, so there have been some comparisons made. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, there seems to be a lot of lore around that one, and uh, some unknowns of you know what really happened and things like that. So we found that bot after we had come up with the double tap design. Got it. Um, so it was not inspired by that. But yeah, then later I don't remember what it was. Somebody was looking at something and came across it, and we're like, oh, that has a lot of similarities and. I mean, definitely different implementations, but similar thought process. Yes, um, their beast mode, yeah. their beast mode configuration on their bot has some similarities to your primary weapon design. Yes, um, it is something that I noticed. I think you guys are doing it in a much more clever way, um, and frankly, a much safer way. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> So Daniel Hodson wants to know, and I think you guys have pretty much answered this. You're doing this because you want to know how it will work, but why are you using the hammers and not something more traditional like a bar or a disc? So early on, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, what is our primary weapon? You know, do you want to do a vertical spinner, a horizontal spinner, a hammer, a you know, flipper? You know, what do you want to do? Um, and one of the big thoughts from one of our team members is he wanted to figure out some way to take the energy from those impacts and turn it against the opponent. Because you have with any impact, you know, both bots have to take the force. Um, but basically, like, yep. is there a way to take that, you know, reaction force and put that into another hit or another, you know, yeah, reaction, you know, another force that goes against our opponent versus fully going into us. Um, so that was 
kind of where the thought process went. And then it was, you know, going through various ideas of how would you take that and, you know, throw it back at your opponent. And this is where we came to. I love that. I love that. All right. So last question about the weapon comes from Stephen Dufort. He says, the renderings look like you may have different hammer configurations. If so, what are these differences intended for? Just wait, really. So yeah. it's like we, because it's the first time we built this robot, um, <coughs> we needed to stay within this weight parameter that we don't know what's going to be because this stuff has never been built. So we're basing all the weights on SolidWorks. And we're like, okay, so as you know, that's not exact. So we, we're basically, the configura a lot of the configurations for those hammers is more trying to stay within the parameters for this year, you know, and still test out the size. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So I have two very intriguing questions about your self-writer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so first of all, um, Jamie Shellcross from Argon Lights says, I'd definitely be interested in hearing why they went with a cold gas thruster-based self-writer rather than a more conventional approach. That just leads me to say, what the heck is a cold gas thruster-based self-writer? Uh, essentially, you're using highly compressed air in a rocket nozzle to create thrust. And so we're using that to flip the bot. So... <laughs> Uh, I mean, we could have done a bar, we could have done like, the conventional stuff, but we wouldn't have learned anything, and we know that we can easily build something like that, so we wanted something completely out of the box, and yeah, there it goes, I mean, again, it's not as practical for BattleBots, but uh, yeah, we just want to see a colder thruster <laughs> that was custom made for the robot. <laughs> yeah i mean are you guys like do you have the math down solidly enough that you know this thing isn't gonna like overthrow the bot you know or is it is it like you're kind of winging it so derek is a rocket scientist <laughs> and, we have, and we have actual we have a couple of other guys that are i mean just monsters on the team uh arian um uh, how do you say is is Delong? Is that his last name? How you say it? Sure, why not? So <laughs> he's he's basically again another fluid mechanic genius, and uh, and they in between a couple of the guys in the team, they came up with the math. Uh, and it's I mean I'm telling you, if, if they came up with the math, this solid. So it's the the actual problem that we have with the colder thruster at this moment is not that it doesn't work is that it is incredibly dangerous and we're trying to make it um, be safe because if not, it will not be allowed to 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 be used. Um, that's actually the Do you know what no do you know what no BattleBots designer has ever had to worry about before? Their self writing <laughs> mechanism being too dangerous for BattleBots. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, just to give you an idea, it's, it's 3,000 PSI being shot at instant. Mach two and a half. So it's a, yeah, Mach two, Mach two and a half is what the, what, the, what the thing is doing. And again, remember, this is a custom-made nozzle. So this is nothing. Right, right. Everything is custom. Everything what is it? Well, how much is this all coming in weight-wise on SolidWorks? Oh, God. Yes. Go ahead, Terry. Before we start reducing the weight. Yeah. <laughs> we're way yes. down to two. 
Yeah, yeah we were, let's just say yeah, we were well into like the 350 range, and it was like, oh, crap, so let's uh, lightweight things as much as possible. Um, so we're, you know, right around the 250 range in theory. Um, so we've gone down to that. But yeah, there was at one point where it was, oh, crap, make everything skinnier. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Put in this thing and stuff like that. Um, yeah, right now we seem, based on but, stuff we have built right now, we seem about on track. So, but the self-writing mechanism itself, like compared to a motorized self-writer, right? Like a bar. How, how much is this coming in at weight-wise? Um, let's see. The, I don't know, the tanks. I think we're like 15 kilograms or so for the system. Um, <laughs> So yeah, really, uh, multiple tanks. It's all um, custom. That's why, because I love even every bottle, every part is it was made to be lighter, which actually is also the reason why it's so dangerous. <laughs> yeah, because so, yeah, most pneumatic systems have regulated, you know, pressure. Um, so you know, you, you're storing it at high pressure, but then the pressure you're using is only you know a few hundred psi. But this one doesn't have anything regulated, so if it goes, it's the full three thousand. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so that's, that's about 33 pounds for all of our, uh, American non-engineering folks. Um, that's crazy. Okay. Fair enough. I, I am fully supportive of this idea and I hope it passes safety because I love it. Um, so let's talk about the ground game and forks and wedges. Now, obviously you guys are fans of the show. You've been watching, um, you know, that the meta has become, so focused around forks and ground game and all of that nonsense. Like it's been getting deeper and deeper and deeper into that land to the point where you see just ridiculously like three foot long forks on some of these robots. Um, so Mark Runkel, he says the renders for this bot remind me a lot of glitch in that it has taken the approach of keeping a super low to the ground profile, both in bot height and ground clearance. While that made Glitch very hard to hit, it also clearly suffered in getting constantly caught up on the floor. Are these renders accurate to the final product in this case? And if so, what precautions have you taken to make sure you don't run into similar ground clearance issues? He also finishes by saying, super excited for this design, by the way. Easily going to be a favorite once the season starts. Thank so, you, thank you. Thank you. yeah, with the wedges you see on the renders, yeah, the plan was to have that, but again, that was the casted uh, design, which ended up failing the other day. Um, the wedges were one of those things that, you know, those were those were a separate part. Um, I mean, you can't really tell in the render, but those uh, wedges are supposed to be separate. And the plan has yeah. always been getting around to designing, you know, different types of wedges and stuff. Um, but due to time, that just hasn't happened yet. Um, so we might be, you know, making some things there, depending on who we're fighting and our, uh, what need we have for the wedges. As far as driving and ground clearance, uh, with the system we have, there's actually a suspension on all of our individual drive units. And with that, we can shim them to different ride heights. So if we start to have an issue where we're too low and scraping too much, we can add some shims and increase our ride height. So hopefully that should allow us to what's the, get around. What's the range on that, do you think? Like how much, how much range of motion do you have on ride height? Um... Let's see, uh, we're around from like three sixteenths to three eighths of an inch for ride height. It's not a huge range, wow. but we're talking to some of the yeah. bots because uh, we've talked to various teams uh, throughout this process, and 
based on talking to them, that sounds like, or understand that's a reasonable range for your, uh, yeah, no, effect. that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that seems totally reasonable. Wow. Okay. Um, I love this. All right. So let's get into something that I'm sure is uh, either plaguing you or not plaguing you at all right now, depending on where you've ended up in your design process. So autonomy. Um, you've talked about autonomy and uh, some of the like descriptions of the bot. Yeah, the Double Tap website features a mythologized description of the bot, which suggests it has autonomous features. What kind of autonomy, if any, is the team trying to implement this season? Is that a real thing? This comes from Joe from Team Don't Blow Yourself Up Robotics. <laughs> so this, this, every robot that we build has to be pretty much autonomous just because that's what they, they require us. Now, uh, for Double Tap, for this season, I don't think... I don't think we're going to implement stuff. I'm going to say I don't think just because you never know what happens. I mean, with, sure. it, it's, with this team right now, it's basically uh, you, somebody can come up around the corner and just bring something and say, yeah, we're putting this in on it. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm not planning on it. Let's just put it that way at this moment. Um, nope, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, we've had autonomous robots in BattleBots before. Um, so Chomp was an autonomous bot for one of the or two of the seasons that they competed and uh, they were able to get some super accurate hammer hits out of their lidar system which was amazing um is that something you guys would be interested in playing with in the future i mean obviously you, you you've had two months that's a that's not really enough time to start playing with that stuff right now but yeah exactly but a hundred percent yes i mean it will uh, uh, double tap will become smarter and faster and stronger as time goes by. So he will keep learning, and he will get just more badass as as he keeps coming around. I love it. I love it. Uh, and I love that you already talk about your robot as a person. That makes me happy. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about wheels. Um, so Crotaliday, he is one of our like frequent listeners and commenters. He says, uh, "This is a very simple question." What's up with your wheels? You want to explain? Go ahead, Derek. Yeah. yeah, so these wheels are from a company called Shark Wheel. And basically, they went and decided to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Um, so it uses a computationally calculated wave pattern uh, that is the wheel design. We have used them on other bots before, and they work amazingly well. Uh, we had you know, one project where a bot kept getting stuck in sand um, with you know conventional wheels, and we put... A version of these on and they tried and tried and they could not get the thing stuck um but because of their design they have great traction uh it helps them to ride over any small obstacles or debris um, because of the grooves it has um but it also allows it to slip better side to side which is good for track steering um and also good for if you're taking an impact the bot sliding and you don't absorb as much of it into you um so yeah, we've I love that. Loved these things in the past, using many things. And these wheels are actually they custom made them specifically for the battle bot um, to get the basically the softness or the traction for the uh, battle box floor. Oh, that video sound. Um, so yeah, it was um, yeah. We told them you know what we we're doing the floor, and yeah, we got them to make a custom batch just for us, and uh, we look forward to how they're gonna work out. 
Yeah, and it sounds like they're ideal for like later in the competition when the seams of the floor start to separate a lot more and you have a lot more varied kind of elevation and stuff to go over. So that's that's really smart. I mean, so much of the stuff I'm hearing from you guys, it's like, okay, this is really smart. Um, all right, so question, also from Crutaliday. Have you thought about bringing a drone to BattleBots? We know that it has been brought before in the past, not necessarily always successfully. Um, and this is just for me, like the most successful implementation of drones in BattleBots so far has been flamethrowers that people have used to intentionally blast flame in the sight line of their competitor to obscure the action from them to make it harder for them to drive. Um, not the best use of a drone, right? So have you guys thought at all about bringing a drone to the competition, implementing a drone and possibly using it in a more effective way? So yes, um, uh, we are Astrager. We love drones. So yes, there will be drones, and they will be flown by some of the baddest pilots in the world. And yes, they are intended to uh, attack the opponent. Uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. Uh, but yeah, there will be drones. Uh, we will not show up without drones. <laughs> Good. I'm excited to see what you guys bring because uh, I'm hoping there's some cool stuff there. <laughs> the most interesting idea I've heard for a drone is, uh, and I, I it was built, I believe, but never implemented. Like somebody wanted to build one with a magnet base on it and a drill press. <laughs> <laughs> so it could just attach to a metal plate and start drilling into a bot, which I think is hilarious. Um, obviously highly impractical, but a very, a very funny idea. Yeah. That was, um, yeah. We talked about many ideas. We knew early on we had to bring a drone in some sort. And so actually, yeah. yeah in our talks, we actually went one step further. Yeah, it was a drone, magnets or electromagnets, drill press, and then a flamethrower to put flames directly into the bot. Because that seems more effective than just having them externally. Um, yes. We had to kind of calm it down and be, okay, that's not going to happen in a timeline, so what's more practical? Right. Right. Okay. I love this. That makes me very happy. All right. So the, so you are going to have a custom drone kind of brought in? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll have mini, like, uh, they're mini drones. Um, and yeah, they're meant to implement damage. And if it does work, it'll be the, the first time I hope in BattleBot history where a drone actually does damage to, to a BattleBot. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big engineering challenge. I mean, they only give you what, like ten pounds on the drone limit. Yeah, yeah. Ours are two hundred and fifty grams. So yeah, so ours uh, only about a half pound. Yeah, so we'll see. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're going. Big. All right, that's a whole new thing that I can't wait to see from your team. That's awesome. Um. Okay. Cool. All right. So the next question we have is about expectations for the competition. So Gil Hova, who's a friend of the pod, he's the community director at Norwalk Havoc, which by the way, I know you guys haven't really competed in robot combat combat before, but if you do get into other weight classes, come play at Norwalk Havoc. We would love to have you. It's a really fun experience. So what are your expectations for this competition? Like how many fights would you like to win ideally? Honestly, um, I mean, since we don't know who we're fighting, it's kind of hard to pick. And we knowing with our challenges, we don't know. But I mean, I would hope that we can get enough fights in to, to make it to at least the, 
You showed your uh, some images of your weapon system online. Uh, what was it last week? Um, I mean, it's so intricate. Like you described it earlier as like a Swiss watch, right? Um, yeah. How many of those do you have? <laughs> so we have three full robots. Whoa. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Have, yeah. Um, we'll have times three, and then we have some spare parts um, to try to fix them. Uh, so, so what what bots are you looking forward to most like potentially fighting you know you guys are fans of the show like what what is an ideal opponent for double tap this is a question from eric wrigley from team shatter <laughs> <laughs> one that doesn't move would be a great one <laughs> <laughs> no i mean honestly it doesn't it doesn't really matter because every one of them uh, will give us will give us cool data so I, I I would like to get just as many of the baddest robots that are out there to, to come against us because, again, if they destroy a robot, we learn a lot and we have a lot of fun. So uh, if we, they don't, and for some reason, you know, like some of this stuff actually works uh, really well, then how amazing would that be? So there's no losses in our head. It's like no matter what happens, we win either knowledge or, or we win the fight. So either way, we win. <laughs> Um, so this next question comes from also from Gil Hova, community director at Norwalk Havoc, and it's a very interesting one. I'm going to give this with a little bit of a, a preface, right? The current reigning defending BattleBots champion is Tantrum. Tantrum was built by Aaron Hill, and it was the original tantrum design was his first ever combat robot and his first ever combat robot was 250 pounds his story is very rare most builders test their designs at 12 pounds or 30 pound weight classes before they go out to build a full a full-blown 250 pound competition ready battle bot right you guys are obviously going that Aaron Hill route. Have you considered testing the design at a lower weight class, or was that just not anything you ever considered? No, it's not not ever a consideration. I mean, we we build big. Uh, our com <laughs> company name is Ostrich Air. We 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 always go for let's go big or go home. So honestly, you know, we hope to keep growing from this and. Hopefully they keep getting bigger weight classes so we can keep entering. So eventually we could throw a car in there. <laughs> 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 let's go bigger, you know? Like let's let's go crazy. 
Now, just this season, like just this year um, at Norwalk Havoc, Aaron Hill did compete with a, a three-pound robot, and it was his second ever uh, weight class that he ever competed in. So he went from 250 pounds down to three pounds with a robot that he called Shifty, which had a, a swerve drive. Um, absolutely amazing performance. I believe he qualified for our December finals. Uh, absolutely amazing work. It's so funny how that 250-pound bot really did uh, help him design a very effective three-pound design and come out and do really well with it in his first competition. Um, so yeah, I hope that this 250-pound bot leads you guys to maybe come out and try some some smaller bots, uh, smaller bot competitions. There's plenty of them on the West Coast, and we'd love to have you on the East Coast for sure. Yeah, sounds fun. Um, hopefully, we'll get some time and, and do that. That would be cool. That would be cool. Um, so random questions, all right? We'll, we'll finish up with some random questions. So first of all, Christine Giver, who runs an excellent podcast called Outside the Box, uh, says, what kind of Pokemon is Double Tap? My analysis likely says that it's a steel and dark type. <laughs> That's a dare question. He's a Pokemon collector. <laughs> my wife got me a Pokemon Go, but that's about how I. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be. Uh, can't even remember the types now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, is there a wind type or is that right? Trying to remember. So you know, is it weather type? Yeah, let's <laughs> have a great Pokemon experience. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. <laughs> I got you. I got you. All right, so next question comes from Bloodsport team member Curtis Honeycutt. It's interesting. We've got a lot of uh, Bloodsport team members asking questions on this. It's almost as if they're concerned about another overhead spinner in the game. Um <laughs> So he says, did you ever consider making a triple tap? It's one more, so it has to be better. <laughs> and then as a joke, we did. <laughs> so there it is. And actually, I have a little metal thing that's almost like a fidget spinner that was a test for a triple tap. So yes. Um, he, he guessed that even though he might not have been thinking that was real. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, okay. Uh, so thank you guys so much for talking with, with us today. We cannot wait to see double tap in the battle box very soon. It sounds like you're exactly where you need to be. You haven't had the bot all the way together yet. You're still building major components and the competition's next week. So you're in good shape. <laughs> right on track. Right on track. Yeah. We'll be there. And, uh. <laughs> no, we can't wait. It's going to be amazing. I uh, can't wait to see your box perform. And thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully, we'll be interviewing you guys again later on this season. And we'll do one of those cool interviews where you're hiding a giant nut um in the background of the video somewhere so that we don't see that you actually won the whole competition that's awesome thank you kyle thank you so much for your time and yeah this is a really exciting time for for us our team and and just to meet a whole new group of friends so really excited to meet everyone out there after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world Welcome back from the break. 
time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Japan, where a robot hobbyist plans to open a maid cafe run entirely by humanoid robotic maids, Kyle. Yeah. (laughs) The Mashiro Project recently showed off its latest advances in a YouTube video with robots that are capable of recognizing guests using a head-mounted camera, holding their hands with a heated glove, and gently guiding them to their seats. The robots are even designed to kneel down all the way to the floor so people can rest their heads on the robot maid's lap. The designer behind Mashiro says he'd like every home in Japan to eventually have their own humanoid robotic maid. Kyle, um, I encourage you, if you haven't, click on the link uh, here. Google you sent Mashiro. You me this link. And uh, it is pure nightmare fuel, Kyle. It's so weird. <laughs> it is so weird. Their yeah. eyes, of course, are gig- gig- like these. Uh, these robotic maids look uh, vaguely like anime characters. Yeah. So their yeah. eyes are, of course, are gigantic. But yeah. because the eyes are like an LED display, they're glowing in this really yes. creepy way. You know, yeah. like right. like it, it's very strange, and it's I don't like it at all i do not like it at all um like turn down the brightness on those things or something i don't know how you fix that problem but it's super creepy and then something about the way their hair moved (laughs) also kind of weirded me out um just a little bit you can you can summon your robotic maid by uh by ringing a bell and uh, i can just imagine you know like uh if, if you had a robotic maid in your home, you know, and uh, you, you rang the bell late at night, just these light, these eyes just kind of light up in the, the corner of the room and just it starts gliding towards you on these strange half robot, half, I guess, you know, wheeled body or something like that. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, it's certainly not not walking around like they're hiding the wheels underneath this super long like floor skirts, length right? dress. It's strange. It is so strange. I love, too, that, like, one of the pain points that they're trying to solve is that the glove that uh, your maid, like, kind of extends to you is typically too cold when it's a human. And, uh, you know, they're going to heat up the glove, Kyle. I mean, they're trying to be considerate for their audience, but my question is, who is their audience? (laughs) You know, like... Yeah, yeah. It's a very... I mean, it's a very strange situation. If you... uh, Japan's about to open up for tourism again. Yeah. For the yeah. for the first time. Um, yeah. is since the pandemic, which is amazing. They're one of the last yeah. places to actually open up, which is is cool. Um flights are going to start being booked there like crazy. Um you have like, you know, family history in Japan. Uh, yes, I'm half Japanese, guy. Yes. 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 So would you uh in a visit back to see family, would you would you like go to this uh to this cafe? I would 100% go to a robot cafe, Kyle. No question in my mind. <laughs> I I seek out just uh, the most uncomfortable situations possible involving <laughs> robots. And I can't imagine a more uncomfortable situation. All right. Like I, it was, it was between this, uh, this story and an update to that robotic dolphin that uh, we were talking about, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Um, the robotic dolphin, such a heartwarming story. They're testing it now with like kindergartners who like can throw it into like a public pool in Silicon Valley and like little kindergartners can now like play with this robotic dolphin. Totally impossible experience like any other way. 
Plus right. it's like ethical and super cool and just makes them feel like, I don't know, connected to dolphins and everything like that. It was between this and uh, Creepy Nightmare Fuel from Japan, Kyle. So you know exactly where my interests lie, all right? Yes, yes. Obviously, you're not going for heartwarming. You're going for creepy. Um, because we always like to compare things to the the inevitable robot apocalypse and uh, you know our, our inevitable robot robotic overlords. Um, would you want your robotic overlords to look like you know the T1000 or like the Terminator series? Would you want them to look like these robotic maids, Luke? What would be um, what would be a better apocalyptic experience for you? A, a prime apocalyptic experience, just uh, hordes of robotic maids just coming over the ridge, okay? <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just beating you to death with, like, you know, uh, like uh, serving trays, tea serving trays and stuff, you know what I mean? And, and as uh, you're dying from them choking you to death, the yes. last thought you have is, my, these gloves are so warm. <laughs> <laughs> yes kyle yes uh oh, nailed the landing i love it all right well that's about it for us today we want to thank nicole for editing this week's episode and we'll be happy back birthday nicole next week happy birthday nicole we'll be back in your feed next week with a special show from the pits at battlebot so check that one out we'll see you then bye bye there once was a bot who's from the sea the name of the bot was the kraken of the lights went up, the buzzer sounds all go, my scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take her teeth and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore, when out did come her metal jaw. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that spinner in tow. Soon may the spinner man come to knock Right from her gums One day when the fighting is done She'll take